Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King, and on the line is Sam Rayner. What's going on this morning, Sam? Man, I slept for like seven hours last night for the first time since Christmas. Is that long or short? That's long for me. I'm usually five or six, and my body just crashed. And I woke up, my wife had already like gotten the kids up and taking them to school and you know i'm just like where am i what am i doing yeah and so uh thank you to my wife who never listens to any of these podcasts right um thank you honey for allowing me to for 44 seconds and she could then turn it off that's exactly right so aaron you know you you were very gracious and allowing me to sleep so so thank you yeah, so I actually sleep about the same schedule as a toddler, um, a, a nap, and then um, 10 o'clock. I'm usually asleep by 10 at night, and then I don't wake up until 6.30, 7. Um, yeah, definitely 6.30. So, yeah, I sleep a lot, especially on the weekends. Um, we we joke about when it is that I'm going to grow out of a nap, and it just hasn't <laughs> happened yet. So, Do you take a nap every day? Not every day uh, when I'm not working. On days I don't work, I take a nap. Wow. And Sunday. And Sunday. I definitely take a nap. Now, Friday and Saturday, I do it just for leisure and because I enjoy naps. Uh, on Sunday, I do it, like, out of necessity because I'm so tired. I just I can't function much more. So I don't so know yeah, what that yeah, is. I'm, Maybe I'm about... I eat the bad food that doesn't give me good energy. But, you know, I, I just I have to take a nap. I have a I'm nap a, blanket, I'm... everything. Wow. I say I'm about five to six hours a night and that's not healthy. I'm trying to get better. But um, so, you know, when you're 90 and I've been dead for 30 years, um, then then you can you can be like, see, Sam, you should have slept a little more while you were alive. Sleep a little more. Uh, <laughs> so this brings up a great topic because, you know, I said I sleep like a toddler. You brought up the 90 years year olds. But let's talk a little bit about multiple generations in the church. And a decent segue. I'll give you hey, credit for that one. We didn't even mean to do that. We no. just talked about sleep and we, it, it goes that direction. We don't ever mean to do anything on the show. <laughs> Um, I always say pastor on purpose, um, but podcast on accident. That's, you know, that's <laughs> pastor on purpose, podcast on... Uh, and and Mike is on vacation. Did we mention that? He's on vacation, which is a shame because talking about intergenerational type of stuff would be so fun to, you know, kind of poke fun at him for being old. So, he is an old soul. He's Well, he's old, old physically, too. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Not, he has those kidney really. stones and stuff, man. I, yeah, feel, I, I feel for the guy. I do, too. I've never had... Have you ever had a kidney stone? No, I've never had anything like that. I, I don't I don't, I don't. don't want to jinx myself now. Uh, Knock on some wood. Knock on some wood. <laughs> I just turned 39, so I've got one more year of being a child, and the next year I get to be an adult. And I'm uh, 36, and I'll be 37 this year, so bringing up the rear. Uh, but people get upset when we banter too much. Um, and so we've had three minutes of banter. So let's talk about this. So your church is fairly 
And I think all three of our churches are very uh, multi-generational. Absolutely. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are we are a good reflection of our community. We're probably a little younger on average than our community, maybe five, ten years, maybe a lot younger. But, but we yeah. still have a, a pretty strong segment of what I would call seniors, boomers and seniors, a lot of boomers. Um, and and so we, we um, there's no way that we could say we're, you know, we're we're a church that is predominantly one generation. We've got we've got about five generations in our church. And some of that has to do, I think, with the Floridian, you know, um, snowboarding and that sort of stuff, retirement. Some. Yeah. Um, we're you know, we're a neighborhood church, so we actually have some long-time established families where, you know, I can point to several families where there's four or five generations in our church, and, it, and it's really, really great. Um, so we do have a bit of a snowbird effect. It's becoming less and less, um, which I, by the way, snowbirds, welcome to, you're welcome to come to West Bradenton. Um, we have several Canadians that have kind of, you know, flocked hey. in. Um, yeah, I mean, I love the Canadians. We had we had a few few Canadian guests love this week, actually. That's right. Um, but uh, but mainly mainly we're just a good multi generational church. Um, a lot of long time established families and new families that come in. Um, you know, seem to seem to intermingle fairly well. We are as most uh, you know older Baptist churches are um, large older Baptist churches. Or you know, tend to be multi-generational, and we are that way. But we are also that way intentionally. In fact, um, missionally. So the whole like, uh, if anybody pays attention to what my church does, I'm not. I'm sure they don't. But if they did, I do. Uh, I know you do. You, I, I like your Facebook page. Yeah. So the second fam thing is. Um, it flows into everything we do. And so it's not just the advertising, although I think the, the marketing part of it's pretty good, but the, um, the family being a church that is comfortable at least or not um, pushing anybody away one way or the other. And we did that on purpose. We do have in our city uh, more so than anywhere else I've seen in the same small town. Um, there is a very, very large church that is very heavily geared toward the millennial and um, the music styles the the decor everything is geared that way um, which that's pretty normal but then you know and but in a town this size we also have a number of churches that are almost intentionally geared toward the boomer or um, that and I mean it's like dogmatically going in that direction so what one of the things that we decided to do was just kind of sit there in the middle and um, not necessarily, and I don't think anybody's catering. I'm not judging anybody on these. On these, that's both of those are great, but um, not necessarily cater towards one direction or the other. Um, so it really it does create some tensions, and I think that's what we're going to talk about. Some of those tensions and navigating the tensions, um, but it also creates a lot of of good things. I like that the whole family can feel comfortable. We had a. We had a guy visit. He would be in the older generations. He visited with his wife, but they were looking for a church that he and his wife, his two children and their spouses, and their, I think it was six grandchildren, would all enjoy. Now, that's that's tough to do. And so they ended up joining here, I think because, or I know because, uh, the second fam sort of approach that we take, where it's something for the entire family, um, or it it's at least comfortable to the entire family. But there are some caveats to that, obviously. So what are some of the biggest ta- challenges that you've faced as a pastor 
attempting to intentionally minister to the all the generations. Well, I mean, back in the day, I mean, the the average life to, back in the day, I mean, like nineteen hundred, the average life expectancy of an adult not like was, when you were a kid. Yeah, <laughs> because sometimes when people say that, yeah, I, no, no, back, back in the eighties. Yeah. Which, by the way, the 80s were a great decade. Uh, the more and more I've been removed from the decade of the 80s and the early 90s in my childhood, the, mm-hmm. the more I realized that it was really a glorious time. It really um, was. I just, and, and people who are from a certain part of our country will understand this, but 1982, Bucky's, uh, Chewy's Restaurant, and, and yours truly all came out of 1982. I, I'm going to have a harder time, you know, finding a better year. But to your point, back in the day, <laughs> 1900s. So back in the 1900s, um, the average life expectancy of an adult was r- roughly 50 years. So mm-hmm. in, in any given church, you're going to have predominantly two generations. Um, you know, every now and then you might have a grandma or grandpa or something like that. You know, th- they were around, but they, th- you know, th- people passed away a lot younger back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to where we are now, you know, the average life expectancy is around 80, 85. And, um, you know, you're... <laughs> You've got four and five generations in a church. Bridging those divides is it's much. If you're wondering, is it harder than it used to be? It is it simply is because much. people are living longer. Because the 95 year old, we have 95 year olds in our church. We do too. Um, the you know the ability to connect a 95 year old and 15 year old, it's, it's really hard. Um, just because they're worlds apart. I mean, we actually have a um, an easier time cross culturally in terms of ethnicity, language. Um, and, you know, well, you're from Argentina and you're from, you know, uh, Ontario. Uh, but if they're younger, you know, they share a generation, it, it's actually easier to connect that group than it is the 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, and the 80 and the 85-year-old. So um, I, I think um, next to so socioeconomics. That's what's that? Hard. So the connection is one of the The connection is very hard. So the next to socioeconomics, you know, rich, the rich and poor divide, I think the next hardest divide is uh, bridging generations. And mm-hmm. not not one, not like millennial and Gen X, although there's some differences there, but I'm talking the youngest generation with the oldest generations. It's very hard because the oldest generation has trouble, you know, filtering things through the lenses that the youngest generation has. But then at the same time, the youngest generation, they, they don't have enough life experience to even know what on earth is going on. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it is hard. It's very hard. Yeah, I would find one of the greatest challenges I've had, and I've been a young pastor. I know you and, and Micah have as well. My first I, church, was, I was once a young pastor. You were once, yeah. And so at my first church I started, I was 28 as a lead pastor. And even being a lead pastor at 36 is, is challenging in its own right. But the um, what the challenge I find is that people forget that the pastor himself has a generation. Like I am a millennial, and I don't apologize about that. I just am, and so I have different views on things that I grew up with, and I don't fault people for having their generational views. But sometimes you feel faulted as a as a, and I think, and I would imagine. This too, oh no, I don't even imagine. I know this is true. Sometimes, uh, even pastor to pastor, some of the pastors I know that are millennials really kind of fault some of the boomer pastors for the way they see the world. And some of that is just the way we were raised and um, the the way we're wired as our generation. So I think one of the greatest challenges I've had is that frustration of saying, I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't 
I didn't intend to hurt you in any way when I didn't value that thing. I just don't value that thing and I didn't know other people valued it. And I run into that quite often, telling people, I didn't know that was a thing, especially if you move churches and I'm now in another church that's not only um, much larger than the church I was in, but it's also a completely different culture going from the Southwest to the Southeast. And there are things that I uncovered that literally spending 36 years in Baptist churches growing up, I had no idea were things. They're just, I, I couldn't even put a category around these things. So um, those are, those are uh, that's the biggest challenge I've had is recognizing and letting people know I have a culture too. I am part of a generation as well. And that's not meant negatively towards yours. I don't believe so. So, yeah, I think you bring up. A, I think you bring up a good point. Um, you know, particularly this idea that hey, whatever you know, if your pastor is part of a generation, they bring with them the 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 baggage, good or bad, the baggage that comes with that right. generation. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm barely a millennial. The other thing that you find is this analog digital divide. You know, because I'm I'm right there. I, I'm I'm you know I feel like I may be one of the last of my kind when I get older, um, because you know I'll be the guy that you know is, you know if if, if I if I learn to sleep a little better and actually live a few more <laughs> years, um, you know I will uh, you know I'll be that guy that's just like I remember, you know the, the days before the internet. Um, sure. And so there there is a huge divide between the analog generation, you know, boomers, even Gen Xers those that are older, um, and then, you know, your millennials, your Gen Z people who know nothing but the digital world. Right. Um, and so communication becomes an issue. Um, expectations are completely different. Uh, w- worship is obviously, a, 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 you know, worship has changed dramatically in the digital world. Um, so th- there are, you know, th- there are not only individual generational divides, but then there's this giant thing right in the middle of, you know, 1995, 1996. That is the internet. It, it, it you know, it's the printing press. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it has it changed, changed everything. Everything. And so those that are kind of pre-printing press, pre-internet era, um, their perspectives are completely different mm-hmm. than those who that's all they know. Right. And bridging those divides is is difficult, but I think it can be done, um, and I think it can be done in a way that uh, you know people appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I have found the best connections occur is through missions. So, you know, we do a lot of, um, we don't do a lot of, well, this is the senior mission trip, and this is the middle school mission trip, and this is the uh, high school mission trip, and this is the young adult mission trip. You know, even whether it be locally or internationally or wherever we're going, you know, about every three weeks, four weeks, we're doing some sort of mission activity where it's an actual trip. Um, and when you get people on mission together, you get people standing side by side, um, it does help. So I would, say, I would say one way to solve this problem is to get people doing missions together and not to segment you know, a lot of your, your, your mission trips. You got, you got something you do, Josh, in your church? Well, one of the things that I'm very intentional about is a regular conversation about what I call preference and just really identifying preference and being very vocal about this. There's even times where I'll say, okay, um, I, it's, it's, this doesn't have anything to do with my sermon today, but I just need to remind everybody about the preference talk. And what that means is that we all need to identify what is our preference and love that preference. And, and what I tell people is celebrate your preference. Uh, enjoy. So there are people who prefer to dress a certain way when they go to church. And there are people who prefer to sing certain songs, etc. 
those are your preferences and you need to identify them and celebrate them. So um, what I've seen successful in the past was if you just prefer, you like wearing a suit and tie and those sort of things to uh, the worship service, then do it and do it with reckless abandon. Enjoy it. And you need to feel that no one is judging you in any sort of way. You are not being legalistic. You are not being rude or stuck or in the past. You have the freedom to wear what you want to wear. And then those of you who prefer um, to wear jeans or, or something like that, you need to um, sort of do the same thing and not feel that way. And I've had that conversation. I had that conversation a couple times in Texas. I have not yet had to, I, although I do think it's coming up here, where um, where you see people start to just, you know, what what I saw was more suits came out, more people enjoyed it, and they felt like, yeah, that's what I'm. That's it. Just feels right to me, and I enjoy that, and that's okay. So. Having that preference talk is a good thing. Also saying, you know, some of the songs we sing are not going to be the ones you like. They're not all the ones I like. Um, that's just the way it goes. And so you just kind of enjoy them. Enjoy that other people are, you know, enjoying that. But it's not really about you in the first place. And so when we come to the church, the preference doesn't so much depict what's going to happen. We're not going to cater to somebody's preference. What we are doing is trying to reach a culture and taking down barriers. And sometimes that looks like one preference over another is going to be chosen, but that is purely accidental, I assure you. It is to reach a culture. It is not to prefer this over that. And um, that has helped uh, letting people coaching people to identify that this thing that I like is really my preference. There's nothing in scripture that says it needs to go this way or go that way. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think other church leaders sometimes play into this. And there are these often in our little, especially there's this like spur, a surge of people talking about, you know, you know, when I preach, it's just, I need a suit and a tie. And, you know, this is the bow tie that I wear and those sort of things. And it goes beyond just preference. It goes into this like slightly slam towards what they always assume is if you're not wearing a suit and tie, you're obviously wearing skinny jeans, which is so silly um, for people to make those preferences. And I think what they're doing is damaging, um, the perception or what people understand that, that that that's just your preference to preach in and that's fine. I mean, Jesus didn't wear a suit and tie and and it's fine. It's really fine to wear it. It's really fine not to. So So we don't we don't have an issue of suit and tie here. It's a matter of shorts and flip flops or not. Mm-hmm. And if then I, I then, and if I pastored in that culture I'd be like, do it. I don't, it doesn't bother <laughs> yeah. me. No. It we, we you know, it comes to dress here in coastal Florida, Southwest Florida, yeah we don't we don't we don't have too many issues, thankfully. Um, I do I do understand the conversation that you that we are having, mm-hmm. but it is not one that I that I live. Um, I will say this about um, our older people, and this is what I love about West Bradenton, is they they they're mature for the most part. I mean, they've been believers a long time. Most of them have been believers a long time. We we do have people that are older that come to Christ, and it's wonderful. But uh, for the most part, those who are in their sixties, seventies, and eighties. Are, they've been believers for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. And the vast majority of them, if not really all of them, because I don't get a lot of static from their crew, which is great, um, they understand that we're going to have to do things to reach the next generation. Um, in fact, we, we kind of pushed the envelope a few weeks ago, probably a little too far in our worship, 
and um, I had older folks who come up who came up to me and said, "Well, we know we're not going to do that every week, and thank mm-hmm. you, but you know we're 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 okay with it because it's going to reach the youngest generation, and they need to be here." And I was really impressed with them because I kind of got worked up a little much um, myself, and um, and they are the ones that calm me down. Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Wow, you know that's." That's maturity. When when you're older and you're like, wow, this is nothing of my preference, like literally nothing. Um, and, um, and and but you're like, you know, I'm okay with it because I see the value and the fruit of reaching those who are either aren't believers or aren't mature at all, mm-hmm. um, and they're growing. And so I would, I, you know, I hate to put that burden back on the oldest group, but it really is their burden. Of, it really is, and that's of, something yeah, that. Of we, allowing those who are not as mature in Christ to grow in Christ. And that's something we tiptoe around. And so to be just frank, and, I, and I'll be this person, and I, and I have this conversation with them sometimes, is even the things they're advocating for, were, uh, they're not even historic. They're not, it's not the way we've always done it. It's the way you did it when you were this generation, when you were this age. And, um, and so they've latched on to one uh, right around the time that the church was surging, right around the time that um, it felt good for them, and it was reaching their culture at that time, and they've held on to it as they go. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just identifying that some of these tactics and, and preferences, those were just the way they were at that point. I mean, we can clearly see back in, in American history just from uh, demographics and socioeconomic status is that not everyone wore, quote, unquote, quote, their Sunday best, the suit and the tie and the and the hats and all that kind of stuff all the time. There was a time in our country where pe- most Baptists or, you know, different denominations just couldn't even afford that, didn't have that period. And so there's an idea there that you've got to identify and realize this is the way it was for yours. It's going to be the way it is for theirs. It's going to be the way it is for the next. That's just the way it is. And you've got to own that and realize you don't have a corner market on the way this church operates just because you've been here longer. So, you know, that's that's a talk that people need to hear. But um, I don't know how helpful it is for us to talk about that with our listeners. What are ways that our listeners could um, navigate some of these challenges? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, anytime we have an opportunity to uh, bridge the generational divide, we try to capture it, um, particularly in worship, because worship seems to be the one area that is um, most pronounced. Um, so, for instance, like our groups, we call them life groups, but our older people call it Sunday school, and we just let them call it that. Yeah, you know, they've got their class, and they say. That. Yeah, we don't go around correcting them. Like, I'm going to go to Sunday school class. No, 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 it's life groups. We don't, we don't, just let them call it, just let them call it whatever they want to call it. Yeah. If they're faithful in a group and they've got their group, let them roll with it. So, one, pastors, you know, a lot of times pastors can cast a vision, but really all that it is, is their personal preferences. Right. Pastors are really guilty of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's the vision of the church. And all that it is, is a list of their personal preferences themselves. So as pastors, pastors who are listening, you need to do a really, you need to do a soul check. Are you pushing your personal preferences on your church as vision? Or, or is it what God has really called you to do? Completely different things, right? So I think one thing, when you, you know, don't fight needless battles. So if your older folks have a certain way of doing things and there's a certain rhythm and a certain pattern, let them run with it. I still lead a Wednesday night adult Bible study gathering, a prayer meeting. 
you know what? Is it ever going to grow to, you know, hundreds? No. But do we have a strong segment of people that show up and love it? Yeah. Are they praying? Yeah. Am I using every opportunity to get them praying about the lost and different things? Yes, of course. Um, it's not in the way of anything, so we're going to keep doing it. So there are certain things as pastors that you can just let go. I mean, mm. you know, they may be vestiges of the past. So what? Let them have it. I mean, if they're in a rhythm and they're loving it, great. And build around it. Um, so, I, you know, I think that we can sometimes get a little worked up over, uh, pastors can get a little worked up over certain things and, you know, going around correcting everybody about language and, and all of that. And um, one way to just build bridges is just simply to, to let the older folks kind of camp where they are. But back to worship. I think this is one of the harder ones because every uh, um, music is so emotive, right? It's so... Um, part of who you are and, and music has changed with the contemporary Christian mu- music movement it's completely mm-hmm. changed and and that's probably the hardest thing so anytime we can give a hat tip to the older generation somehow some way in our worship we try we have an eight o'clock tr- it's not a traditional service it's hymns I can't call it traditional um, but it, it's hymns we have a praise team and stuff but they sing hymns right um, and so for those that are like you know I just really love the hymns like okay we've got a service for you it's at eight o'clock a little early but a lot of them like that too so you know you know we we have a good chunk of people that that come to that and they are a little older but they they love that we have it Mm -hmm. so there are some things that you can do to let the older people know hey we're not we're not leaving you behind yeah you know we're we're right here with you and anytime you have an opportunity to latch on to whatever that is in your church where you can let the older folks know like hey we're not we're not going to leave you behind um man capture that it's so important and I completely agree. What I would add to that is there are opportunities that do come up as well in which you can you can help to dismantle some of those idols of um, certain, I don't know, just things that are not important. They're not important to their generation and they shouldn't be. And I need to, as a pastor, lovingly let people break apart their idols, even if it is something that doesn't really matter. So for an example, um, in Texas, uh, when I took that church, there were these huge Thomas Kincaid pictures, um, <laughs> paintings in the lobby, all oh. over the lobby. I mean, just oh. uh, six of them, and they were big and they were real. These weren't prints; these were these were expensive Thomas Kincaid pictures. And um, I took them. They down. were originals. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, they were very expensive. So I took them down. And um, probably let me limited edition prints or something. Wow, okay. something no. like that. Something. I'm, it wasn't like they went and got a poster and framed it. This were you know these were from Thomas Kincaid's okay, store. Gotcha. So you know somewhere in between, and I took them down, and that was very upsetting to folks. And uh, and I literally said, look, if they if they mean so much to you, then take it home. You can have one. Just take it home. But this is not your space. And I think sometimes. I don't. I have not been in a lot of churches that have the music divide. I, I just haven't been. I think probably because all the churches I've either pastored or been on staff at have either had the two services, super traditional, super modern, or have just already said, we're not fighting about that. We're going to go modern. Everybody get over it. So, and, you know, as a result, those people who couldn't get over it left. But where I do have the majority of sort of the conflict is in the facilities. So decorating small group rooms or what's in the lobby or the kind of furniture, even if it's like 
um, a leather sofa versus wing back chairs, you know, or bar stool type of um, bar tables or or the alternatives. So those have been some divides that I've had. And the irony to me and something that I've always kind of pointed out was when I go into their homes, even the older generational homes, they're somewhat updated, especially in the communities I've lived in. The new homes that they buy, that they build are what we would call updated. And yet the church, they want to remain the way it has been because that picture was donated by so-and-so. And what that helps me understand is it's not, it mean, it's, it's emotional. It's, it's not like they're not defending the wingback because the wingback is Jesus's preferred style of chair. And so when you realize that and you can show them that I get that this is emotion to you. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how this is going to shift a little bit. Um, we took out most of the seating in Texas and that made in the lobby and that made some uh, some people upset. And I remember one conversation in particular where they said, well, where am I going to sit? And we were standing in the lobby. There's all of these that we we moved it so more people could fit in the lobby, essentially between services and et cetera. And I said, uh, I pointed to the sanctuary and I said, there's 300 seats right there. Go sit in one of those. I mean, like there's, there's, this isn't the place for seating. And to, to explain to people the function, what we're doing and why we're doing it helps them understand. So I would say, do what Sam is saying 100%. When you have opportunities to do what you feel are throwbacks, um, but mean something to them, then by all means do it. It's, it's enjoy and enjoy it. It's enjoyable. It's there's something to it. There's nostalgic to it. There's tradition to it. But also, when you have small little areas where you can begin to dismantle some of that and still push forward, you need to do that because the churches that don't, they die. They on on average, they die. And um, without making some steps towards. Um, towards the now. It has nothing to do with like being futuristic or modern. It just has everything to do with being not alien to the people who are walking into your church. They just don't feel comfortable. I had to look up wing back chair line (laughs) while you were talking. And and then I started like scrolling and looking at chairs and um, I completely missed everything you just said. Yeah. Um, Get rid of those. By the way, there are some, I know what you're talking about now, but there are some nice modern uh, variations of the wingback, so which may be a way to switch that thing out, but could you be. Know. Just saying, but they were very, very expensive. The ones that I was just looking at online, that's right. so probably probably not the best way to go. So, hey, uh, that's all the time we have for today, talking about this intergenerational stuff with two guys that are pretty young. Uh, we'd love to hear your input on the Twitter or the Facebooks. You can uh, let us know what you think. What are some of the things that you're doing to foster and help with intergenerational? Ministries also want to make sure that you are aware, as I sh- I am positive everybody who listens to our show is aware of Rainer on Leadership with Tom Rainer and Jonathan Howe. As part of the Lifeway Podcast Network family, they've recently covered relevant topics like six major areas where pastors want to reset their ministries and why your church attendance may vary 25% each week. All you got to do is search Rainer on Leadership on your favorite podcasting app. They recently did an episode um, about essentially why the megas are having a hard time finding new pastors. That that was a fascinating episode. Yeah, you so got to go check that out. Good. And, and the reason it was so, I mean, it was deeply personal to me because of 
a certain church and everything that uh, they pointed out was the way my mind was thinking as I was interviewing with a church. Um, I mean, literally down to the sanctuary size. I remember specifically going, what in the world am I going to do with the sanctuary? Because I just didn't want to be a part of it. And I know so, what church. I know what church you're talking about. I know and you they, know. And, <laughs> and it, th- who they got as a pastor was um, a bit of a surprise. And not a millennial. So here we go. Anyways, thanks for listening. And we'll chat with you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.